Volume Three, Chapter Eleven of the Vicar of Rexhill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Vicar of Rexhill by Francis Milton Trollope. Volume Three, Chapter Eleven: The Elopement. When the gentlemen reached the lawn, they found it already covered, not only with the company from all the other rooms, but likewise with crowds of people from the park, who came rushing in through different entrances from all quarters. In the midst of all this bustle and confusion, however. Mr. Cartwright remembered his engagement with Mr. Stephen Corbold, and, only waiting till he saw that the servants of his house were among the throng, he sought Mrs. Cartwright, and finding, as he expected, her daughter close beside her, whispered in her ear, "'Oblige me, dearest Clara, by sending Helen to your dressing-room for a small packet of very important papers which I left on the chimney-piece. I cannot go myself, and there is not a servant to be found.' mrs cartwright immediately spoke the command to helen and the vicar had the satisfaction of watching her make her way through the crowd and enter the window of the drawing-room poor helen was not happy enough to have enjoyed in any degree the splendid bustle of the day and the total repose and silence of the house was quite refreshing to her she passed through the drawing-room into the hall from whence not even the loud buzz of the multitude without could reach her and untying her bonnet and throwing that and her scarf on a slab she sat down to enjoy for a few moments the cool quiet of the lofty silent room at length she reluctantly rose to perform her mother's bidding walked slowly and languidly up the stairs along the spacious corridor and into mrs cartwright's drawing-room this little apartment was no longer the dear familiar scene of maternal fondness that it once was or helen might here again have been tempted to sit down for the enjoyment of temporary repose but in truth she no longer loved that dressing-room and walking straight to the chimney-piece she took the packet she found there, and turned to retrace her steps. It was with a start of disagreeable surprise, though hardly of alarm, that she saw Mr. Stephen Corbold standing between her and the door. The persevering impertinence of his addresses had long ago obliged her to decline all communication with him, and it was therefore without appearing to notice him that she now pursued her way towards the door. But hardly had she made a step towards it, when the odious wretch enclosed her in his arms she uttered a loud shriek and by a violent effort disengaged herself but ere she could reach the door he had closed locked it and put the key in his pocket a dreadful sensation of terror now seized upon her yet even then she remembered that she was in her mother's house and a feeling of confidence returned you are intoxicated sir said she drawing back from him towards the bell but you surely cannot be so mad as to insult me here i will insult you nowhere miss helen if you will behave as you ought to do to the man whom heaven hath chosen for your husband but as for your ringing the bell or screeching either i'll fairly tell you at once it is of no use there is not a single human being left in the house but our two selves so you may as well give me satisfaction at once and promise to marry me without more trouble or else i will make you thankful for the same without my ever asking you again open that door sir and let me out instantly said helen pale as death yet still not believing that the monster before her would dare to attempt any outrage even mr cartwright she added would resent any impertinence offered to me under my mother's roof let me pass sir believe me you had better believe me i had better not miss helen you have been playing the fool with me long enough and as to my cousin cartwright he is quite of the same opinion i assure you charming helen he exclaimed again stretching out his arms to enclose her be only half as kind as you are beautiful and we shall be the happiest couple in the world at least sir you must let me consult my mother about it said helen contriving to keep the table between them and believing that he was there only in consequence of his being intoxicated let me ask my mother's consent mr corbold 
corbold laughed again you think me tipsy my sweet girl but if i am trust me it's no more than just to give me courage to teach you your duty my charming helen let go the table and understand the thing at once my cousin mr cartwright is under some obligations to me and he means to settle them all by giving me a pretty fortune with you and as he knows that unhappily you are not converted as yet and have shown yourself not over christian like in return for my love it is he himself who invented this scheme of having you sent up here when all the servants were out of the house and of my being here ready to meet you and to teach you your duty to him and to your mother and to your heavenly father and to me and so now you know all and everything and i have got the key of the room in my pocket and will you consent to be my wife beginning from this very minute dreadful as helen's terror was her senses did not leave her on the contrary all the strength of her mind seemed to be roused and her faculties sharpened by the peril that beset her she doubted not for a moment that his statement respecting mr cartwright's part in this villainy was true and that she was indeed left in the power of this detested being with no help but the protection of heaven and her own courage she fixed her eyes steadily on that of corbold and perceived that as he talked the look of intoxication increased she therefore skilfully prolonged the conversation by asking him if indeed she must be his wife where they were to live whether her sister fanny might live with them whether he ever meant to take her to london and the like contriving as she did so to push the table which still continued between them in such a direction as to leave her between it and the door of her mother's bedchamber corbold was evidently losing his head and appeared aware of it for he stopped short in his replies and professions of passionate love that he was making and exclaiming with an oath that he would be trifled with no longer he suddenly thrust the table from between them and again threw his arms round helen's waist she was not however wholly unprepared to receive him on first approaching the table that had hitherto befriended her she perceived on it a large vial of spirits of hartshorn this she had taken possession of and held firmly in her hand and at the moment that corbold bent his audacious head to kiss her she discharged the whole contents upon his eyes and face occasioning a degree of blindness and suffocation that for the moment totally disabled him he screamed with the sudden pain and raised his hands to his tortured eyes before he removed them helen had already passed through her mother's bedroom and was flying by a back staircase to the servants room below without waiting to see if she were pursued she opened a back door that led into the stable-yard, and after a moment's consideration, proceeded across it into a lane which led in one direction to the kitchen gardens, and in the other into the road to Oakley. Even at that moment Helen had time to remember that if she turned her steps towards the kitchen gardens, she should pass by a park gate which would immediately lead her to all the safety that the protection of an assembled multitude could give. But she remembered also that in a few hours she should again be left in the hands of Mr. Cartwright, and inwardly uttering a solemn vow that nothing should ever again make her wilfully submit to this she darted forward unmindful of her uncovered head and with a degree of speed more proportioned to her agitation than her strength pursued the short cut across the fields to oakley and entering the grounds by the gate which led to the lawn perceived sir gilbert lady harrington and their son seated on a garden bench under the shelter of a widely spreading cedar tree helen knew that she was now safe and she relaxed her speed slowly and with tottering steps approaching the friends from whom notwithstanding their long estrangement her heart anticipated a warm and tender welcome yet they did not rise to meet her perhaps thought she they do not know me and it was then she recollected that her hair was hanging dishevelled about her face without hat or cap to shelter it she was greatly heated and her breath and strength barely sufficed to bring her within a few yards of the party when totally exhausted she sat down upon the turf and burst into tears 
colonel harrington had not written the letter to helen which the vicar of rexhill destroyed without having put both his parents in his confidence lady harrington's fond affection for her goddaughter which her enforced absence had in no degree lessened rendered the avowal of her son's attachment a matter of unmixed joy and though sir gilbert declared that he would as soon stand in the relation of brother to his satanic majesty as to cartwright he at length gave his apparently sulky consent with perhaps as much real pleasure as his lady herself both the one and the other however knew perfectly well that their son would have been an excellent match for helen even when her father was alive and would as it was supposed have given her a fortune of forty thousand pounds and they felt some degree of triumph neither unamiable nor ungenerous in its nature at the idea of securing to at least one of poor mowbray's family a station in society that not even their connection with mr cartwright could tarnish the whole family understood the position of things at the park too well to be surprised at no answer being sent expressed to colonel harrington's letter and the following post was waited for with pleasurable though impatient anxiety but when it arrived without bringing any answer and another and another followed with no notice taken of a proposal of marriage which as sir gilbert said the proudest woman in england might have been glad to accept the misery of the young man himself and the anger and indignation of his parents were about equally vehement considering the opinion entertained by sir gilbert of what he was pleased to term mr cartwright's finished character it is surprising that no idea should even have occurred to him of the possible suppression of this important epistle but in truth the same interpretation of it had suggested itself to the minds of them all they believed that helen from a sense of duty had submitted the proposal to her mother and that forbidden to accept it by the vindictive feelings of the parvenu priest she had been weak enough to obey even his commands to leave the letter unanswered a degree of timidity and want of proper feeling productive of almost equal disappointment to all three impressed with such feelings against her it is perhaps not very surprising that neither the heart-stricken lover nor his offended parents rose to welcome the approach of poor helen some family quarrel i suppose said lady harrington they seem to have turned her out of doors in some haste i will promise her that she shall not now find an entrance into mine said sir gilbert perhaps the young lady thinks better of it and that it may be as well to contradict pa and ma a little for the sake of being mrs harrington those who will not when they may when they will they shall have but before sir gilbert could finish his stave helen mowbray was stretched upon the turf colonel harrington not too well knowing what he did ran to the spot where she lay and hardly daring to look at her stammered out miss mowbray gracious heaven how fearfully she changes colour so red and now so dreadfully pale speak to me helen what has happened to you how comes it that you are here after after oh helen open your eyes and speak to me mother mother she's very ill lady harrington now rose slowly and gloomily from her seat and walked to the place where helen lay her head supported by the arm of colonel harrington every tinge of colour fled from her cheeks her eyes closed and no symptoms of life remaining excepting that tears from time to time escaped from beneath her long eyelashes it is difficult to see a person one has ever loved asleep and yet retain anger towards them they look so helpless so innocent so free from all that could have ever moved our spleen that not the most eloquent defence that language ever framed could plead their cause so well as that mute slumber still more difficult would it be to look at a fair creature in the state in which helen now lay and retain any feeling harsher than pity that is something more in all this william than we yet understand said lady harrington after gazing silently at helen for some minutes this poor child has not fainted her tears prove that but she is suffering from bodily fatigue and mental misery helen rouse yourself let us understand each other at once why did you not reply to my son william's letter helen did rouse herself 
she opened her eyes and fixing them on lady harrington while the colour for a moment rapidly revisited her cheeks she said in a voice so low as to be scarcely audible a letter from colonel harrington to me a letter to me i never received it thank heaven cried colonel harrington springing from the ground for helen's head no longer rested on his arm ah oh, what suffering we should have been spared if we had done her but the justice to think of this he hastily returned to his father who though he had not advanced a step had risen from his seat and to do him justice was looking towards helen with great anxiety she never received it sir said he in a voice husky from agitation oh come to her soothe her with kindness my dearest father and all may yet be happiness amongst us what helen helen my poor girl are you come to us with some new trouble and did you indeed never get william's letter my dear child the mention of such a letter again dyed helen's cheeks with blushes but she raised her eyes to sir gilbert's face with a look that seemed to ask a thousand questions as she replied i never received any letter from colonel harrington in my life i'm devilish glad to hear it my dear that's all so then you don't know that hold your peace sir knight said lady harrington interrupting him and you come with me sweet love i'll lay my best herbal to that dead leaf that you are the only one perfectly faultless among us and that one two and three of us deserve to be i can hardly tell what in the power of the vicar i think for having been so villainous as to suspect you and worse still for having lived so close to you without ever having found out whether you were really watched like a state prisoner or not has the rascal dared cried sir gilbert but before he could finish his sentence lady harrington and her son were leading helen between them towards the house her ladyship laying a finger on her lip as she passed her husband in token that he was to say no more having reached what lady harrington called a place of safety where as she said the men could neither come nor hear she made helen lay herself upon a sofa and then said now my helen if you are ill at ease in body lay there quiet and try to sleep but if you are only or chiefly ill at ease in mind let your limbs only remain at rest and relieve yourself and me by telling me everything that has happened since we parted last it is a long and sad history my dearest friend replied helen kissing the hand which still held hers but i am very anxious that you should know it all for so only can the action i have committed to-day be excused what action helen what is it you have done my child i have eloped from my mother's house lady harrington but you have eloped alone helen yes alone well then my dear i will give you absolution for that perhaps there are those among us who may not find it so easy to absolve you from all blame for not doing it before but now for particulars will you have a glass of water helen mercy on me i believe it must be a glass of wine what can you have got to tell you change colour every moment my dear child helen's narrative however being of necessity less full than that contained in the preceding pages need not be repeated it was given indeed with all the force and simplicity of truth and deep feeling and told all she knew of mr cartwright's plans and projects but excepting what she had that day learned during her dreadful interview with corbold she had little to add to what lady harrington knew before this interview however was itself fully enough to justify the elopement of which helen still spoke with such dismay and together with the fact again asked for and again repeated that no letter from colonel harrington had reached her hands was sufficient to make her ladyship burst forth into a passion of indignation against the vicar of rexhill and to make her while overpowering helen with the tenderest caresses bless her again and again for having at last flown to seek shelter where it would be given with such heartfelt joy soothed consoled and almost happy as helen was made by this recovered kindness her anxiety to know why and upon what subject colonel harrington could have written to her was becoming every moment more powerful there was something so very fond so very maternal in lady harrington's manner to her 
something that seemed to say that she was of more consequence to her now than she had ever been before something in short quite indescribable but which gave birth to such delicious hopes in the breast of helen that she almost feared to meet the eye of the old lady lest all she guessed and all she wished should be read in her own it is possible that with all the care she took to avoid the betraying this anxiety she did not succeed for in answer to some very delicate and very distant hint that it was extremely disagreeable to have one's letters intercepted lady harrington though she only replied yes it is helen rose and left the room only adding as she closed the door keep yourself quiet my dear child i shall return to you presently presently is a word that certainly appears by common usage to admit of very considerable variety of interpretation and it was evident that on the present occasion the two parties between whom it passed understood it differently long before lady harrington again appeared helen felt persuaded that some important circumstance must have occurred to make her so completely change her purpose yet the good lady herself when she re-entered the room looked and was perfectly unconscious of having made any delay at all inconsistent with her presently she held a folded paper in her hand you have not asked me helen she said on what subject it was that my son wrote to you and yet i suspect that you have some wish to know i have been downstairs to consult him on the best mode of repairing your precious vicar's treachery and he suggested my putting into your hands the copy of the letter which has been so basely intercepted which copy it seems has remained safely in his desk while its original has probably fed the flames in mr cartwright's secret chamber kindling thereby a sympathetic and very consuming fire in the breast of the writer helen stretched forth a very trembling hand to receive the paper her eyes were fixed upon it either to read through its enclosures the characters within or to avoid at that moment meeting the eye of her godmother i shall leave you my love to peruse it alone and presently when i think you have done so will return to ask if you cannot in some degree comprehend what must have been felt at its not obtaining an answer having said this lady harrington retired without waiting for a reply and leaving helen unable for a moment to learn what her heart throbbed with such violence to know the letter of which helen now held the copy has been already presented to the reader and if she chanced to be one of helen's age having at her heart a love unbreathed to any human ear she may guess what my helen's feelings were at finding such love had met an equal an acknowledged return such a one may guess helen's feelings but no other can lady harrington's presently now seemed to helen as much shorter than it really was as the last had seemed longer she had read the letter but four times through and pressed it to her heart kissed it and so forth not half so much as she desired and it deserved when a knock was heard at the door and the old lady again entered the happy but agitated girl stood up to receive her and though she spoke not a single word the manner in which she rushed into her maternal arms and hid her face upon her bosom spoke plainly enough that the gallant colonel had no reason to despair what must he have thought of me were helen's first words and you and sir gilbert such a letter dearest dearest lady harrington you could not really think i had ever received it you have struck the right chord there my helen we all deserve to have suffered ten thousand times more than we have done for having for a moment believed it possible you should have received that letter and not invented some means to answer it let the answer be what it might and this answer you have not yet told me what it is to be i do not know how much or how little you may happen to like william my dear but in case you should have no insuperable aversion to him the business is made delightfully easy by this adventure the elopement is done and over already helen only pressed lady harrington's hand to her heart but said nothing yes you have found the way to let me into your secret without speaking this little heart throbs violently enough to prevent any suspicion of indifference but what am i to say to my impatient hero below that you will or you won't marry him as soon as the lawyers will let you oh lady harrington 
come downstairs my dear you had better come down i do assure you for i expect sir gilbert will be up in a moment and you cannot suppose that william will remain behind and my bedroom would by no means be so dignified a scene for the denouement as the great saloon come dear come and helen went trembling blushing with tears in her eyes and such palpitation at her heart that she was very sure she could not pronounce a word but what need was there of words the happy colonel was soon perfectly satisfied and thanked her on his bended knee for a consent more looked than spoken even sir gilbert himself though singularly attached to plain speaking seemed well content on the present occasion to dispense with it and pressed helen to his heart and kissed her forehead and called her his dear daughter apparently with as much satisfaction as if she had declared herself ready to accept of his son in the very best arranged words ever spoken upon such an occasion when the first few decisive moments were passed and each one of the party felt that all things were settled or about to be settled in exact conformity to their most inward and earnest desires and when helen was placed as the centre of the six loving and admiring eyes that were fixed upon her she closed her own but it was neither to faint nor to sleep but to meditate for a moment with the more intensity upon the miraculous change wrought in her destiny within the last few hours what are you thinking of my helen said the colonel jealous as it should seem of losing sight of those dear eyes even for a moment i am endeavouring to believe that it is all real replied helen with beautiful simplicity bless you my darling child said the rough baronet greatly touched what an old villain i have been to you helen abusing you hating you calling you all manner of hard names and your little heart as true as steel all the time real real that you are beloved by me helen cried colonel harrington absolutely forgetting that he was not tete-a-tete with his fair mistress and how is she to answer him with you and me peering in her face my lady ought we not to be ashamed of ourselves come along this moment very well i will go but only upon one condition helen remember william she is to indulge in no disagreeable reminiscences and no melancholy anticipations but look just as beautiful and as happy when i come back as she does now this farewell advice was not thrown away for it assisted colonel harrington to baffle or to banish all the fears and regrets respecting her mother's displeasure at her conduct which came like a cloud across the bright perspective of helen's hopes for the future her lover showed himself indeed sufficiently adroit both in turning to account all the favourable circumstances attending their sudden engagement and in using his mother's authority to prevent her dwelling upon what was unfavourable might not a second home he asked be of great advantage both to fanny and miss torrington might not the connection tend to keep mr cartwright in order and prevent his finally injuring charles and lastly did she not think it would give pleasure to that charles himself to lady harrington helen had frankly recounted the history of corbold's hateful persecution from its first beginnings in london to the fearful outrage it had led to on that eventful day but she had begged her to repeat no more of it to sir gilbert and the colonel than might be sufficient to render her running away intelligible and this request having been strictly complied with for lady harrington seemed as unwilling as helen to trust her menfolk with this history colonel harrington in conversing with her on all she had felt and suffered since her mother's marriage spoke of him only as a presumptuous man who had dared to persevere in addressing her after she had refused him it was probably the heightened colour of helen as she listened to this mention of his name that excited a greater degree of interest and curiosity concerning him than her lover had at first bestowed upon him were those hateful addresses repeated by letter or in person helen said he fixing his eyes upon her agitated face in person in person answered helen impatiently did your mother know helen how greatly those addresses annoyed you i have often attempted to tell her but she has always evaded the subject 
telling me strangely enough and heaven knows not very correctly that it was plain i did not know my own mind or else that i was guilty of affectation your mother then helen would have approved of this man's addresses i fear so it was then to avoid her importunity that you left her house to-day helen looked uneasy and distressed under this questioning but answered no colonel harrington not her importunity but his own the blood mounted to the young soldier's face and an angry glance shot from his eye as if he suspected something approaching but at great distance to the truth he surely did not dare to be impertinent helen you have not told me all you came here in a state of dreadful agitation tell me i conjure you all that has happened to you you will not helen what am i to think of this that you have been insulted in a manner that you will not repeat to your affianced husband for heaven's sakes put an end to this torture i must know all your mother does know all colonel harrington make me not repeat the hateful history again will you refer me to my mother will you permit me to tell her that you have done so why colonel harrington replied helen should you wish to know more than i have told you but of course i cannot object to your knowing all that has passed between us only i think he does not deserve the trouble you take in speaking of him much to the surprise of sir gilbert and his lady who were very amiably undergoing a real penance by absenting themselves from the sight of happiness which touched them so nearly colonel harrington was seen hurrying towards them where they were beguiling the time as they could by inhaling the cool breath of evening under the cedar tree take a turn with me mother will you said he in a voice not quite so gay as they expected to hear from him lady harrington immediately rose and passing her arm under his they walked off together at a rapid pace to a distant walk mother he said stopping short and looking earnestly in her face tell me i beseech you everything that you have learnt from helen respecting that wretch corbold for some reason or other which i cannot understand she is averse to entering upon the subject with me but she assures me that you know everything that has passed and she has authorized my asking you for the particulars has she william then she is a silly girl for her pains but it is your fault i dare say you have been tormenting her with cross questions about a vulgar villain that neither of you ought ever again to call to remembrance say no more about him or his precious cousin either surely we can find more agreeable subjects to talk about than the vicar and his cousin very likely mother but i cannot be easy till i know exactly what it was which caused helen to leave her mother's house in the manner she did this afternoon have i not a right to inquire can you blame me for doing so no my dear william i do not but heavily shall i blame you if you make an extorted confidence the source of quarrel between an officer of rank in his majesty's service and a pettifogging methodist attorney of rexhill is it possible mother that you know me so little as to think there can exist the slightest chance of my doing this pray do not keep me in this fever for the sake of protecting me from a duel with mr stephen corbold there you are hothead your father's own son beyond all question now listen then to this infamous story and take care that you do not renew a sorrow that is past by improperly resenting it after this preface lady harrington ventured to repeat to her son the narrative she had heard from helen he listened with very exemplary tranquillity only occasionally biting his lips but uttering no single word of any kind till it was concluded he then said very quietly let us return to poor helen mother how admirably has she behaved throughout lady harrington looked up into her son's face as if to discover whether his calmness were genuine but his pocket-handkerchief at that moment concealed his features and as he walked rapidly towards the house she could only take it for granted that all was right and follow him having reached the door of the room where he had left helen he opened it but waited outside till his mother overtook him go to her mother said he and confess that you have told me everything i would rather you did this than me tell her too that she has behaved gloriously and when i think you have put her at her ease about me i will come to you 
so saying he passed on and entered a small parlour that was called his own at the front of the house sir gilbert soon followed his lady and without going again over the disagreeable narrative at length the whole business was made sufficiently intelligible to the baronet to make him extol in high terms the courage and presence of mind of his future daughter this occupied a quarter of an hour excellently well but still the colonel came not and helen though with no feeling of alarm certainly kept her eye upon the door with more steadiness than she was herself aware of at length lady harrington began to show evident symptoms of that state of mind usually called fidgeting she rang the bell and asked if the colonel were at home the servant did not know tea was ordered and when it came the same question was repeated but the same answer was not given for the man said that the colonel had been seen to go out about half an hour ago who saw him go john said her ladyship did you no my lady it was the colonel's own groom send him here the groom came and was questioned as to how and when he had seen his master go out i was in the harness-room my lady and the colonel came in and took down one after another all the coachman's whips from the pegs and at last my lady he chose the newest and the stoutest and carried it away with him but he said never a word <whistles> whistled sir gilbert with very considerable continuity of sound that will do dick you may go and so his colonelship is gone forth with the stoutest and the best horsewhip he could find well upon my word i do not think he could have done better foolish boy exclaimed lady harrington he will get into some abominable scrape or other yes my lady he will horsewhip the lawyer you may depend upon it and then he will have damages to pay but for an only son william is far from extravagant and i really don't feel inclined to begrudge him this little amusement nor i either sir gilbert provided he takes care not to get into a downright vulgar brawl come helen come said sir gilbert turning towards her you must not look pale my child for this you are not afraid that there will be any blunder are you and that the attorney will horsewhip the soldier no harm will be done depend upon it except to my new horsewhip End of chapter 11